Welcome to the Newson Health Menopause Podcast. I'm Dr. Louise Newson, a GP and menopause specialist, and I run the Newson Health Menopause and Wellbeing Centre here in Stratford-upon-Avon. So today I'm really pleased to have Dr. Sarah Ball here with me in the clinic, who, as some of you might know, is one of the doctors who works with me here. She's a GP and has a special interest in the menopause. So we thought today we would cover talking about migraines, headaches, how they can affect women during the perimenopause and menopause, and what we can do about them. So hi, Sarah. Hi, Louise. So just tell me a bit about you and about why you're coming working here, just to introduce yourself to people. So I'm a GP and I've been working in general practice for nearly 20 years and I've always enjoyed working with women related to their hormones, which lends itself very nicely to the menopause. Mm-hmm. And the more and more you absorb yourself in knowing about the menopause, the more you realise that actually the menopause affects us in all sorts of different ways. So it really um, incorporates the whole of medicine. So let's just go through, I'm sure most people who will be listening will know, but just what is the menopause? So the menopause is the end of your periods, mm-hmm. which is um, easy to tell if you've gone a whole year without a period, you know that you've reached the menopause, mm-hmm. but obviously it can be a bit difficult um, to tell until you've actually reached that point. But most women won't just suddenly reach the menopause. They will usually go through a period of time called the perimenopause where their ovaries are not working so efficiently as before and therefore their periods have started to alter slightly. And at that point, the women may start to get some symptoms related to that, which can make her life a little trickier. And it's hard, isn't it? Because so many women during the perimenopause don't realise that their symptoms are related to their changing hormones, which indeed happened to me and lots of people that we talk to. So Yes, I think that's the one of the challenges, but also one of the joys about our job in general practice is that a lot of women don't realise what their symptoms are related to. Um, and so it's quite easy to go chasing down the wrong path sometimes. Mm. So actually to always consider whether hormones could be causing it often brings you to the right path quicker. Yeah. And then what about people who have had a hysterectomy, so had their womb removed, or there's a lot of women now who have or use a marina coil which stops their periods. How do they know when they're going through the menopause? That can be a bit trickier because they haven't got their periods to go on. Mm. But symptoms should always raise the possibility of a hormonal change. Um, And that might be um, more physical symptoms, so Mm. things like hot sweats or flushes or joint aches and pains or sleep becoming less good. Mm. Um, But it might well be psychological problems. And women often do struggle to see the immediate connection between their mood and their hormones. But often women in the perimenopause will start to experience low mood, anxiety, um, sort of irritability, and that can often be a sign. So they need to really think about their hormones with most symptoms, really, don't they, when something's changed. Um, So we're going to talk today about migraines and headaches a lot of women are quite surprised when they come in to see me with migraines and I'm talking about their periods and how they've changed because it's quite hard isn't it when you know about your hormones being responsible for 
your periods and your reproductive tract, but how do they get into your brain? Just talk us through <laughs> the association. Yes, it's it's tricky, isn't it? Because there's an awful lot of reasons why we get headaches. Mm-hmm. Um, but we know that women experience headaches far more than men ever do. So it's about a three to one ratio between headaches that women suffer compared to men, which is strongly suggestive of the fact that hormones Mm. plays quite a role in many headaches. And a lot of women, if they were to actually think about it and keep a mental note or a diary, may notice at any point from the beginning of their periods as as teenagers all the way through their reproductive lives that actually their headaches may come in a recognisable pattern in relation to their period cycle. Mm. Um, We know that the commonest time for headaches to start in many women is when they have a drop in their natural levels of oestrogen, which usually is in the few days leading up to a period. And similarly, if women have been on the combined contraceptive pill, which many younger women Mm -hmm. are, when they have that week off and their oestrogen levels drop, many women will also experience a headache during that time. So it's like a withdrawal time, isn't it? Yeah. When they... So, um, because a lot of women blame the hormones, but actually it's usually the lack of hormones as opposed to... Yes. High levels. mm, So for most women, it's not an overall level of hormones which causes a headache, it's the change which causes the problem. So either change up or change down. Yes, so it can be either. Mm. Um, And that's why keeping a a diary for, say, three months initially will usually start to pinpoint where the problem lies. So keeping a diary of your headaches alongside a diary of your periods can be really useful. Extremely helpful, yeah. So a lot of women who have headaches around the times of their periods, like you say, or in that pill-free week... Are they more likely to have headaches and migraines during the perimenopause? Yes. So if you've already proven through your reproductive life that you have a sensitivity to hormones, then as you get to the perimenopause, when your hormones fluctuate even more than before, it's going to likely show an even worse effect on headaches. And you'll Mm. probably, most women will experience more headaches um, of the migraine variety as they get to the perimenopause. So, and then migraine can be triggered, obviously, by changing hormones, but there's other triggers for migraine as well, aren't they? Which There are all sorts. Um, so stress itself will often yes. trigger headaches and migraines. And of course, the um, often the psychological and physical symptoms that we experience in the perimenopause can be a source of great stress. Mm. Um, poor sleep will often trigger headaches, yes. and it's very common to not sleep well during the perimenopause. And is that because the way hormones affect our brains, isn't it, that women often have poor sleep? Which... Yes, so we have a lot of oestrogen receptors in our brain mm. and when our oestrogen is fluctuating from very high to very low on an erratic basis, our brains suffer mm. as a result. If you're getting um, intense hot sweats or flushes, sometimes that will also trigger a migraine. And we tend to change things like our diet or our alcohol consumption um, around the time of the perimenopause Mm. and all of those things can also trigger headaches. So all of these different factors start to gang up on us Mm. and headaches tend to become very bad, almost like a crescendo in the 40s. So it's the worst decade for migraines is in the 40s in women. 
It's really interesting, isn't it? Because I'm sure, like you, I've seen a lot of women who find that their symptoms are so bad that they are comfort eating and tend to eat more sugary foods. And, and often with low estrogen levels, there's a bit of a sugar crave, isn't there, that people have. So, But having fluctuating sugar levels can trigger high migraines and headaches as yes. well, can't they? So, yes. And then drinking more alcohol, like you say, to sometimes numb the symptoms yes. cannot be great. What about caffeine? Does that kind of affect Yeah, so caffeine, habits? we seem to become more and more sensitive to caffeine as we get older. Um, and caffeine can have lots of adverse effects on our bodies. Um, for example, we all know that the bladder tends to be adversely affected by caffeine, but also caffeine will tend to adversely affect migraines as well. Mm. And we tend to get more tired during the perimenopause, so we'll often drink more caffeine to try and um, keep us awake, which then gives us a yeah. migraine. So, so we're no... in trouble again. <laughs> There's no hope for us, really. So what can we do once we've realised, or a lot of us have realised, that our migraines or headaches are related to our changing hormone levels? I mean, there's there's a myriad of things. If you Google migraine treatments, there's so many different treatments. And some of them can be just simple lifestyle changes, can't they, which can be good um, and can help with future health. But uh, there's drugs, there's medication, there's... You know, what, how would you suggest to someone who came to yes. you with migraine? I think it is taking that um, sort of multifaceted approach and not just concentrating on one area. Um, so have you said, looking at things like lifestyle mm. and whether we can do relatively simple things like taking caffeine out of our, mm. um, our, our daily intake. The one thing I would say about reducing caffeine is not to do it all of a sudden because it's actually mm, yeah. if you are having, say... Uh, eight cups of coffee a day and you suddenly go cold turkey you will get a withdrawal headache um and then you wonder why you're doing it yes so it's best to reduce gradually Mm. and although coffee is is the the um the the big uh, enemy here don't forget tea's got quite a lot of caffeine in it and decaf tea um is is a good thing to switch to and also chocolate's got a lot of caffeine in it as well as the obvious coca-cola yeah um so to try and reduce all them, um, to look at the intake of our sugar and to try and reduce down the poor carbohydrates that we have, we've had and the, the, the sugar levels. So do you um, mean things like the sort of refined sugar yes, processed foods? To, yes. So having a bowl of porridge in the morning, for example, is yes. a lot better than having a piece of toast? And yes. A- yeah. Um, and, and being careful with avoiding too many sort of white potatoes and pasta and rice because, again, that actually turns itself into sugar quite nicely in our yes. bodies. So should um, we be looking more at whole, whole meal whole foods, grain. whole grains? Yeah. It's quite often about the glycemic index, isn't yes. it? Yes, yeah. so. which is a helpful thing to look at. Um, trying to reduce alcohol down, we should recommended limits for women in this country are no more than 14 units per week, um, which gives us kind of two units per day to play with which is a large glass of wine but actually we should really also be aiming to have three or four days of alcohol free Mm. per week so really just trying to restrict alcohol to small amounts at the weekends would be much better for lots of things but including headaches and and it's also drinking um you said about stopping um if you can stop fizzy drinks or caffeinated drinks, um, but it's really important that it's replaced with water, isn't it? Yes. There's yeah, we so should many be, people that yes, don't drink enough. enough. Yeah, we should be trying to have at least two litres of um, water each day. 
Um, because actually, if you get dehydrated, you're going to get a headache. Yes. Um, so that's important. Um, looking at things like painkiller use, um, mm. it can be a tricky one because simple painkillers um, like paracetamol or ibuprofen can be very helpful at the start of a headache or migraine to kind of stop it in its tracks. But equally, if you overuse simple painkillers like that, you can then end up with a sort of a withdrawal effect as mm. well. And especially if you've ended up having to move on to codeine as a painkiller, that's a very well-known cause of what we call withdrawal headaches, where the um, the headaches are actually caused by the lack of the painkillers. So you can get so into end a up horrible, vicious Because you can so buy cool. codeine, can't you? Codeine yes. over the counter. Like, yes. So people think they're doing themselves a favour mm. by medicating. But actually, so if a woman or a person is taking painkillers frequently, they should be looking, do you think, at other other treatments? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Especially, yes, for women, you've really always got to consider whether there's a hormonal mm. element to this. Um, and trying then to discuss with your doctor is really helpful if you do take along a, maybe a three-month diary with yes. you that can help to pinpoint any problems. Mm. Um and then to start to think about whether it would be worthwhile trying to stabilise your level of hormones so yeah. that you don't get the triggering yeah. of the migraines. So it's worth maybe trying some of these lifestyle factors, regardless of hormones, isn't it? Because obviously it's not just about migraines, but that can really have a positive effect. So with hormones, it can be quite confusing, can't it? So I, for example, have migraines with aura, so I can't take the contraceptive pill. Mm. So a lot of women then think, well, I can't take HRT. And indeed, we see a lot of women, don't we, who are told um, incorrectly that they can't have HRT. So do you want to just yes. explain the difference maybe first between the contraceptive pill and HRT? Yes. Yeah, it's a it's a very common area of confusion, um, both for, for, for women, but also for doctors. And it's, it's kind of understandable because actually there is a, quite a... A broad similarity between the combined contraceptive pill and HRT in that both of them have two hormones, estrogen and progesterone. Mm. The difference is that the combined oral contraceptive pill is high dose. It has to be high dose because it's actually temporarily turning off your ovaries. And it's also what we call synthetic. So it's um, made, manufactured hormones um, and although that does its job very well, it is a higher dose and it does effectively make our blood a little bit sticky. Mm. And therefore, you should not take the combined oral contraceptive pill if you suffer with migraines with aura, because there is a doubling of the risk of a stroke. However, HRT, although for all women that have their womb, also contains estrogen and progesterone, it's... Um, doesn't necessarily have to be synthetic hormones and actually a lot of the HRT that we use now is um, more naturally occurring so it's plant-based hormones and the doses are much lower because actually we're not trying to switch off the ovaries we're just trying to replace what the ovaries have stopped making so it is actually a different creature that we're dealing with when we're looking at HRT so there is no problem with taking HRT if you have migraines and if you have migraines with aura so and just to clarify, of all migraines, about 30% are migraines with aura. Um, there is no need for you to avoid HRT, whether you have aura or not. The chances are by taking HRT and stabilising your hormones, you will actually reduce the risk 
of you having migraines going forward. And then having the oestrogen, as you say, is this body, usually body identical, derived from the um, yam, the, the root vegetable, but it's best to have it through the skin, isn't it, as a patch or gel? Yes. So, yeah, by absorbing the oestrogen, it means um, in comparison to taking oestrogen as a tablet, with the tablet you actually lose quite a lot of the oestrogen in the digestion process and the absorption of it from your stomach is actually quite variable so your levels of oestrogen in your blood are not quite as stable if you take it as a tablet and also when you take oestrogen as a tablet it has to visit your liver in order to be metabolized and that can be a slightly turbulent time and we do have some clotting um areas in our liver which can sometimes be accidentally triggered by oral oestrogen or tablet oestrogen and therefore by taking oestrogen through our skin there is no liver metabolism because it goes straight involved yeah so you get a much steadier absorption and it's completely safe so it Mm -hmm. cannot cause a blood clot or a stroke which really makes it the Oestrogen of I choice. Mean, that's, actually, yeah. that's what we prescribe most of the time, yes. isn't it? We've, I mean, I'm sure you've got a few. I've got a few patients who prefer to take tablets or they're very low risk. But most of the time we yes. prescribe it not just for migraine, uh, women who have migraine, but for other reasons as well, because it's so well absorbed. It's so easy, isn't it? Um, and although the risk of clot with a tablet, either the contraceptive pill or the HRT tablet, is small, if there's an alternative, might as well have the yes. alternative. Yes, why take a risk if you don't need to? Precisely. So that's really good. So so women who have migraines can definitely use HRT in a different way to um, those that can't who've had the contraceptive in the past. So gel or patch, what's the difference between the two? So this is just oestrogen on its own, um, gel or patch, isn't it, that you're talking about? So what's yeah. the difference between so the two? Both are lovely options and I do think it's really helpful for women to have an idea of both so that they can make a choice which suits them on a personal basis so um, patches are um, there's uh, various different brands of patch available in this country and most brands of patch available in this country are to be changed twice weekly so you choose two days of the week for example I change mine on a Monday and a Friday and you will always change your patch on those days so it's fairly easy to remember but you can easily set your mobile phone or uh, a calendar to remind you and the patches are small and transparent and they stick very well to the vast majority um, of women's skin you apply them to clean dry skin um, usually below the waist so often the sort of top of the buttock area or the top of the thigh Mm -hmm. and they should not come off in the shower or when you're exercising or or in a in a swimming pool um some women will find that the glue in the patch can make them a little bit um irritated and red and that's usually helped by moving the patch to a different site each time you reapply yeah and if you do have trouble often a different brand will be yeah because it's important i sometimes speak to women or read on various uh, forums that women are buying plasters to put on top of their patch because they're not sticking if you get to that stage you probably shouldn't be using that patch should you if if it's not sticking well or the ends are curling or that it's crinkling you're not absorbing it properly are you no, so no. it's it's either trying a different manufacturers like you say because they all use slightly different glue don't they yes or thinking about the gel so. yeah about the gel so the gel is um 
there's um, canisters of gel and there's also sachets of gel and it's a daily application. Um, it's a transparent gel which dries after five or ten minutes of being on our skin and you apply it on clean dry skin usually after you've had your bath or shower um, and it doesn't smell does no it? you can't tell it's there mm. after five minutes and you rub it in don't you yeah because quite a few people um feedback to me say oh you just leave it to dry on your skin but it's, it's yeah i say rub it in isn't mm, it i say you don't rub it in as much as you would like a moisturizer but you sort of spread it around and rub it a little a bit like almost like you're icing a cake is how how i feel <laughs> it is um and then yes and then you just leave it for five minutes um and you avoid cuddling um anybody especially males while it's drying so that they don't absorb it or your pets yes or your pets yes <laughs> and then wash your hands after and that's it isn't it yeah so um is there any advantage disadvantage do you think when people have migraines or headaches having the patches or the gels they're both wonderful options in that they have a big range of doses available mm. um the crucial thing is that you start at a low dose and you work up very gradually so the way I explain it to my patients is that we are effectively getting on the bottom rung of a ladder and we're going to stay on that bottom rung for usually six to eight weeks so that our body gets used to the estrogen and the levels in our body don't suddenly go up and then they can reassess how their symptoms are of their perimenopause and whether they um, feel that they could do with a bit more estrogen and then they can go up to the next rung yes. if they feel so very gradual. they need to so it's a very gradual yeah so more gradual than somebody who you were seeing who didn't have migraines for example yes. because often we give quite high dirt patches quite quickly don't yes. we but um and certainly i often um recommend patches so that it's quite stable but i usually get them to cut their patches mm. is that what you do and yes uh, rather than having two or three different prescriptions yes you can have a, a, a larger dose and then cut it and it's not licensed in that way mm. but because of the the way that they're made it's quite safe to do that yes so it's fine to cut up a patch as long as it's an estrogen only patch yes. you shouldn't cut up a patch if it's a combined patch um, because that can then be dangerous yes. because of the progesterone yeah. in it. But if it's a pure estrogen yes. patch or whatever make, then you can get away with cutting and sometimes people just cut the corners off or cut them yes. in quarters. Or there's yes. all sorts of ways, but it's doing it gradually because like you were saying, it's this big spike, isn't it, when people have a sudden increase or a sudden decrease. Yes. So doing it gradually yeah. is really important. And then they need... The, those, so those women who still got their wombs need to have a progesterone as well don't they they do so what do you normally do so the progesterone that's involved in hrt can also occasionally trigger a headache or a migraine because it too is a hormone and it too can fluctuate um in amounts so you've kind of got to be have your sort of radar on and just be a little bit mindful that we've got two hormones in play and trying to um, keep an eye on both of them so the ideal goal with your progesterone is to have um, as most natural progesterone as possible um, to have the dose ideally on a daily basis which is possible in some people but it isn't possible in others yeah. um, and again I often ask women 
when they're starting HRT to carry on their diary for another three months or so, so that if we do run into any problems, we can hopefully uh, pick apart the details and try and work out which hormone is it that we need to mm. think about. So the the kind of the nicest options for women with migraines are either a micronized progesterone, which is the naturally occurring progesterone, which also comes from yams. Mm-hmm. Um, and if a woman has finished her periods, then she can take that every day and therefore she shouldn't get big fluctuations yeah. in levels. If the woman hasn't yet finished her periods, then she can still use the same capsule of the micronized progesterone, but she does need to take it in a two-week-on, two-week-off regime. So then the diary is particularly important to see whether the fluctuations are causing any problems. And I have actually seen it go both ways. So I've seen some women who actually find they get a few headaches on the two weeks when they're taking the progesterone, and I've also seen some women where it's the opposite and they get the headaches when they're not taking yeah, the progesterone. And it's so hard to predict, mm. isn't it? Yeah. Um, the good thing, as you know, about the micronized progesterone is that if it's taken at night, isn't it? Yes. Like it can sometimes have a slight sedative effect, yeah. so it can help people sleep. Um, and as you know, when we sleep better, then often yeah. migraines can, can improve. Um, yeah, yeah, there certainly are some women who find that the micronized progesterone triggers migraines as well. Mm. Um, so sometimes I'll even say have one month just with the oestrogen on its own yes. and then add in the progesterone yeah. carefully. So this is the whole thing, isn't it, that menopause care should be individualized. Yes. And it's really important that women are have the time the information the confidence because we often don't we ask women to try different doses and to be in control of what they're taking Mm. once they understand what they're doing because that's really important and I think the other thing is remembering with anything to do with hormones we should always try and not leap to any quick judgment and try and give any change that we make about three months because actually a lot of symptoms that we get initially with HRT is purely the change in the status quo in our body and actually if you just see it out you'll tend to find that usually after it's usually weeks but it can take a couple of months most things will settle down if we just be patient the other thing I just wanted to go back to was that if you are in the perimenopause a marina coil can be a really good option for women with migraines because it's a steady low dose of and that's just the coil with an older progesterone in but it's very low dose isn't it yes so um it's a brilliant option for many women um because it's got sort of three uses it provides the progesterone component of hrt which saves you having to take uh, another tablet um It also will tend to reduce periods and for many women it will stop them having periods, which can Mm -hmm. be a godsend. And also you've got a contraceptive in place for five years. So it's got an awful lot of benefits to it. The only um, thing that I tend to warn women about is that when the coil is first put in, for the first 100 days after insertion, the level of hormone in it is higher than for the rest of the five years. So you may feel some hormonal effects or a triggering of headaches, for example, in the first few months. But I usually urge patients and Mm. it usually settles down Mm. and then the levels drop off nicely and then you just get all the benefits. So that's definitely an option, isn't it? 
Um, and then just finally, what about supplements? I've read quite a lot about magnesium can help mm. with um, migraines Is that something, or headaches. Is that something you talk I've about? I've certainly heard that and I certainly think the um, that magnesium is gaining, um, you know, a, a big fan club for mm. things like sleep but also headache control. Yeah. That's probably one of the main supplements which... Yeah, I mean, gosh, aren't there? There's so many supplements yeah. and it's so much better if women can get what they need from their diet and lifestyle and everything else. But my understanding is magnesium is is needed for a lot of cell processes in the body and it's we can't measure the levels, can we? Because no. it's what happens in the cells. Um, and often I'll say to people, try a good quality magnesium supplement maybe for a couple of months and see how you feel. And it's very hard. I mean, as, as I've said, I migraine and I... I do all these things that we've been talked about, talking about and I take a magnesium supplement and my migraines, touch wood, have been good recently. Is it because of one thing or the other? Who knows, but I'm yes. too scared to stop any of them. Yes. So, um, but it's being sensible, isn't it, yes. in what you do? Yeah. And and it is being patient as well. Yeah. yeah. So Jess, that's brilliant. Thank you ever so much. What I'd like you to do is just, if you can, three take-home messages from the podcast today that women could... Um, used to reflect and think about migraines and their perimenopause or menopause? Okay. I think the important thing is always to look back at your whole reproductive lifespan. So think back to when your periods first started and all the years between and see if there's a pattern that you can think of um, to do with your own natural period cycles or your um, use of contraception in the past and whether that would help I think headache diaries can be immensely important and I think I would say always look at the lifestyle first because there is an awful lot of important changes that you could make but you should never then not consider the hormones because that could well be the source of the problem totally oh thank you ever so much that's been really really useful and I think we've covered quite a lot of information in a fairly short period of time so I hope that's been useful for people to listen to and uh, have hopefully some new knowledge that you can take forward to help yourself and hopefully others as well for more information about the menopause please visit our website www.menopausedoctor.co.uk Thank you.